there's always a reason why we couldn't tell the public the truth. There's always yeah. like a reason why we had to, like that, like the logic of lying is present in systems, right? Mm -hmm. I did not anticipate that that logic would rear its head in movement land, right? Like, mm -hmm. well, the reason why we can't say this publicly is that white people might not fund it, or the reason why we can't, like that logic, yeah. and we just cannot demand of a system a set of values and beliefs we won't model. It doesn't mm -hmm. work, like this is why it crumbles, right? McKesson. We are, yeah, yeah. He's got a lot under his belt. He does. I mean, he's an guy. educator, he civil rights activist. Yep. Um, you know, he works a lot in mm -hmm. the area of policing and reform. Yes. And um, he even ran for office. He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, he, yeah. And, he, and he wrote a book, he The did. Other Side of Freedom. Another side. lazy person we are centering here in our conversation. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? I mean, we've got to change this. Sorry, this little. <laughs> I'm over it now. Oh I'm my really goodness. over it now. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. I, I thought I was busy. <laughs> Clearly I'm not. <laughs> but I, I love his advocacy. I mean, I know he started out kind of like in Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and he was also an educator for so many years. How was your experience at school? Mm. Anybody inspire you? What was that like for you? And how has that shaped you? One of the ones who influenced me very early on yeah. was Dr. Gloria Alabarujo. Mm. She was this black woman who was came in the room dressed to the nines, first of all. She was very exacting and very demanding, mm. but it was it was a demanding in a sense the in the sense that she believed that you were capable of greatness. Mm. And she wasn't going to accept you doing anything else. Wow. She'd be like, um, Masood? This is not the level of work I expect from you. Oh. Take it home and do it again. Oh. So I was, what are you going to say? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> you know, but I noticed that in myself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to please her. Yeah. Though. There was a sense that she believed in me. Mm. And that belief in me created a desire and aspiration to want to confirm her belief or validate it through my actions. Yeah. I'd love to hear what your, your educational experience was like. I moved from California to Australia, mm. um, a much different experience to Perth, Australia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it just so happens, and maybe it was just a bad luck of the school, but the school that I entered, nobody looked like me. Mm. And mm. obviously nobody talked like me. And of course, I, mean, I, I sat by myself every lunchtime. Yeah, it was, sure. mm -hmm. But, you know, I think bullying, and it carried me throughout the entire, like all my schooling until maybe high school. Mm -hmm. And I spent my work yeah. and my life empowering youth mm -hmm. in those spiritual capabilities and capacities that they have yeah. so that they can take what they already know in school yeah. and then use that to become the activists that we see in these mm. interviews yeah. and these episodes that we're having together. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So I think that's my mm -hmm. history with education. You know, I had one inspirational teacher Mr. Kingston. I've mm -hmm. looked everywhere for him. I can't find him because mm -hmm. I just want to tell him what he did for me. Yeah. The reason why he was so inspiring is that he told stories. Mm. He told stories about life. So amazing because, you know, I, I think oftentimes we, you know, teachers, mentors, people in our lives who are um, entering our lives intentionally with goodness in their heart and trying to yeah. help us move along and yeah. further our journey. Quite oftentimes, they don't get the recognition or the no. thanks that they that they deserve. Yeah, I think DeRay's going to have a lot to I think talk he is. about that. Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. I think he's going to hit a lot on education. Is what mm -hmm. I'm feeling, and mm -hmm. um, maybe we can get him to um, 
delve into a few other pertinent topics. I'd love to hear his thoughts maybe about Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. maybe about, um, you know, um, how he kind of got to where he is mm. and what kind of early experiences kind of led him to mm. it. So let's, uh, let's see if we can give him a call and see if we can get him on. Sounds let's good? Let's do it. All right. I'm ready go. if you let's are. Let's get it. Let's All right. It. Let's go. And we're here for another episode of Undaunted, presented by Choose Unity mm. with my favorite co-host. Thank you, Masood Olafani. And I'm Navakali Lee, <laughs> and we're here speaking to DeRay McKesson. Oh, it's an amazing guy. Really great. Does a lot of good work in the social justice spaces and education. Work with Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Really great guy. And here he is. DeRay, what's up, man? Hey, y'all. DeRay, so awesome to have you. Yeah, it's good to see y'all. You know, when we're doing our research on you, mm-hmm. I mean, educator, you know, run for office, mm-hmm. you know, leading Black Lives Matter movements, yes. you know, um, civil rights activists, mm-hmm. altogether incredible human being. Mm-hmm. Right now, what is what issue is heavy on your heart and your mind that you are working on and putting your energy into? So I spend almost all of my time on issues of policing, criminal justice, and I believe that we can win in this lifetime, right? That's like my thing. I wake up and I'm like, we can do this. And this isn't like a pipe dream. We can actually transition from the police being key to public safety to alternatives in this lifetime. Um, so that's what I do. And sort of our thing is is this idea that the system is actually a collection of a million individual decisions. So what we do is we find those decisions and we piece them apart, right? Mm. Knowing that some have a bigger impact than others. So like, you know, drug-free school zones are bad and have nothing to do with drugs or, you know, the war on drugs, or you might not know that every single state uh, charges people who are incarcerated room and board in some fashion. Like, you know, all these things are like these million little individual things that aren't little in people's lives, but like, they just don't make the news. And we try to figure those because we think that the system will break when we break those. It's deep, man, because policing is like your, your area. That's where you really are focusing on right now. And... I don't know if a lot of people know, um, and I'm sure you've had this experience yourself, but as a black man, I always have, um, I always have anxiety when the police are near me, pull up behind me, or whenever I get stopped. And I know that I haven't done anything wrong. I mean, I know that, but I start running in my mind, okay, did I do something 10 years ago that I just forgot about? Maybe they got a warrant out on me? But that sense of, of being imperiled, of being threatened by the system, um, simply because you know you you exist, you present in a black body, um, is something that that is part of your everyday reality. It's a haunting in a way. And I was wondering if you could um, talk about man, what what was there an experience that kind of got you interested in doing this kind of work? You can talk about your own feelings, um, you know, historically when you have had interactions with the police. So just curious. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it wasn't the experience with the police that got me involved in the movement. It was Mike Brown's death. Like that was single-handedly the thing. There wasn't another thing that did it. Yeah. Uh, that w- that was it for me. But in Baltimore, I used to uh, work. I used to run an after-school program in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And one morning, I needed to go to school. And I the way the program worked is that I had kids from three to eight p.m. three nights a week, which is a very long time to have fifth through eighth graders. Yes. And uh, one of the staff members left something on the desk. So I needed to get there like at 6 a.m. Literally like before the principal got, the principal hated me. So I needed to get there like early. Mm-hmm. So I'm driving through the most affluent community in Baltimore and I get, I see this officer ready to pull me over. Yeah. I got to get to school. The, Mr. Uh, what was his name? 
um, Mr. Oh my God, his first name was Otis. What was his last name? Anyway, he hated me. <laughs> and um, I'll never forget it. They go to the police officer is like behind me. He's not pulling me over yet. I just pull over. I'm like, give me a ticket. I got right. whatever you're going to do. Give me a ticket. I need to go to school. Right. So I pull over and he is on 10. He gets out of the car, gun drawn. He's like, put wow. your hands up. He's like on 10. Mm-hmm. Mind you, at this point, I'm still way more afraid of the principal who hated right. me. So this guy's like pointing a gun at me and I'm literally saying to him, it'll be okay. Everything's mm-hmm. going to be okay. Right. Everything's okay. Like I'm de-escalating him. I'm like, you got a gun pointing at me. I didn't even do anything. Mm-hmm. So in the end, he like, doesn't give me a ticket. He's like trying to joke. I'm like, you literally just pointed a gun at me that we have no, there's like nothing funny just happened. Yeah. So that happens. And I will never forget. I called somebody I knew who worked in Baltimore city government. She was high ranking. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, this crazy thing is happened with the police. I want to follow a report. And she's like, DeRay, the report won't matter. Just go home. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, well, I guess that's what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Mike Brown gets killed. I was living in Minneapolis at the time. And I was like, you know, I used to teach. I taught 14 years ago. I taught sixth graders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the time that Mike Brown got killed, my kids were like the same age as Mike Brown. Right. They were like in that mm-hmm. same sort of one, one year span. And I remember being like, if I, if I can't go stand in the street, for two days Mm. for this boy that got killed, then like, I actually don't believe in kids, right? Like if I can't, like that is literally the least I can do. I had like no money. I I was driving a Saturn Ion. I don't even know if they make Saturn Ions anymore, but I was driving a Saturn Ion. (laughs) I drove from Minneapolis to St. Louis knowing nobody because it it was like, I I would do it for kids. And you know, the rest is history. I I stay for more than two days. I quit my job. I move out of the apartment. And then I just like moved and it was like, this is the least I could do, you know? Wow. As an educator, maybe you, I would love for you to speak to that. I mean, a lot of my work is in youth empowerment activism. Where is the, what is the cross section between education and your experience with youth and your activism? Where do the two, how are oh, the two married? So much, mm. ah, so much. It's like I, the teaching like changed my life. Like mm. by far the best thing I've ever done in, in, in everything. And I'd say like three big things. The first is it gave me infinite patience. Like I worked with sixth graders, right? Mm-hmm. Sixth graders are like snotty. They think farting's cool. The boys <laughs> think burping's cool. Like it's like the girls have cootie, you know, it's like the whole thing. And it was like, I taught 60, 90 and 120 minute classes, which is a lot of math for kids, like mm-hmm. for anybody, let alone 11 year olds. So like, it just gave me a deep sense of uh, patience. It was like, okay, we can ride it out. The second is that uh, it, it taught me how to take complex things and make them simple because mm-hmm. You know, a lot of, I don't know, are you math, were you math phobic? Like, did you love math? Were you good at math? Well, in kindergarten, my math teacher, she, I mean, I'm kindergarten, the teacher actually, she said, it's math time. And then I said, oh, boo. I didn't know what I was saying. <laughs> she put me boo. in the corner and she put my name up on the wall. And ever since then, <laughs> I, I've hated math. But I want to say. Ooh, so you early. Yeah, real early. Kindergarten. Mine was algebra two. I, I was at algebra two. I was like, you know what? I don't get all this Pythagorean theorem stuff. I'm just, yo, yeah. peace, I'm out. <laughs> that was a wrap. <laughs> but, but what, what were you going to say after kindergarten? What, what was it after kindergarten? I, I want to say um, it was probably sixth grade. Hmm. Yeah, so both of you are exactly what we anticipate is middle school. Yeah. So middle school is often where, you know, because fifth grade is the last time that you do the operation. So like, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, fifth grade is that Sixth grade is the last year that a teacher like knows how to teach the operations. Mm-hmm. Like we can't divide in seventh grade. That teacher like 
isn't really going to teach you how to divide. Mm-hmm. Um, but we find this big drop that happens in middle school. Kids don't feel smart. They don't yeah. feel like it's yes. just a hard place. So when I taught, um, I figured out how to teach the entire year's worth of curriculum by Christmas. Like we did all six year math by Christmas. Wow. And then we learned a hodgepodge of skills from January to June. And my kids did well. All my kids got at least a three, which is proficient, half got a four, which is the highest you can get in New York State. And uh, w- what made me able but to do that was like I had a I wasn't a great math student, but I was a very good math teacher because I didn't understand it either. I'm like, I don't know, like I'll never get dividing decimals. I'm like, I don't think I've ever divided decimals in my entire <laughs> life before I taught it. <laughs> and I, in terms of the, the movement work, it's like we get these like qualified immunity, felony theft, all these really big things. Mm-hmm. And we spend a lot of time trying to figure out like how would I explain it to my aunt? My aunt mm-hmm. is busy. My aunt has three kids. Mm-hmm. She is doing a lot. She is not like reading any books about criminal justice but she cares right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like teaching gave me that like the skill of like take the take the big complicated thing and make it simple and i'll tell you as a teacher one of the tricks that we did and how i could teach so much so quickly mm-hmm. is um most people think about teaching who have not taught they think about teaching things all in like one big unit right so like mm-hmm. we do fractions i teach you all the fraction things and you do mm-hmm. other i teach you all that yeah. but what the good teachers do and this is what i learned my second year mm-hmm. um is is you actually pepper in all the stuff that people need before they really need it. So you know, because you've both done some algebra, mm-hmm. that when two numbers touch, it means multiplication. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. 3x is three times x, yeah. 3b is three times. Like you mm-hmm. understand that. Mm-hmm. That is not an explicit skill. Like that, that we don't have like a name for that in the book. Mm-hmm. But I taught my kids that like the second week of school, just because it was like it was like a game for them. They were like three, this multiplication. By the time we got to algebra, they were like they could do that in their sleep. Like that concept wow. wasn't new to them. Wow. Because I like pre-taught it, mm-hmm. and like that was the gift that I learned from another teacher. So that was the second. But the third thing is that um, everybody wants to experience success. Like mm-hmm. that was it. So like, if you can make a classroom where kids feel successful in the room, mm-hmm. you can do anything, right? Yeah. Especially with math. And like in the movement space, it's like how do I help organizers and people in community like feel success? Whether it's through like a policy thing or a meeting, like if I can get you to feel success and like we can do anything. And so much of our work is like, how do we invite people like you? Mm-hmm. You're not a content expert on this, but you care. How do I create space for you to do really good work? Mm-hmm. Like that is the challenge that I'm often facing every day. Wow. Mm. Wow. It's some of the key, man, what you, what you said, you're talking about helping people experience success, right? Particularly students. And I'm curious, man, for you. And I think this is important for everybody, for all of us to experience success. It like builds a kind of sense of self-esteem. It, mm helps us to build our confidence, to feel better about our possibilities. And I'm wondering when you first felt that experience of success for you and how that was important perhaps to sending you on this pathway towards, um, you know, service, um, you know, um, being involved in uh, social justice work and, and all of that. So what is there experience or a series of experiences you can point to, man, that were really critical, informative, where you felt that sense of success that helped you feel like you had something to contribute. Actually, before he answers that, yeah, could you take us to the part before that ah. where you you were feeling? Would you were you ever feeling a sense of helplessness? You talked about you people think they're just not good enough. Was that was there ever a point in time mm. in your life that you felt that way? And then where was the point that you you might have felt like this is something I can handle? This is mm. something I can do. This is success. Mm. So I, I was a teacher, as you know, and uh, teaching was really hard. It was just hard. Mm-hmm. And I was used to being really good at what I was good at, right? I like mm-hmm. did this thing. I was really good at it. I put a lot of time in, da, da, da. and teaching was one of those things where like, 
you can't just like bulldoze your, like it, stamina wasn't enough, right? Like it was like, I could stay up all night long and still teach the worst lesson ever. And like, that was hard, right? And you don't get a lot of downtime. So in between Monday and Tuesday, you know, it's just like, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I taught this lesson on dividing decimals and um, I taught a 90 minute class. 20 minutes in, I'm done. I have nothing more to say. I don't have any worksheet. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> they're looking at me like, what you got? And I'm looking at them like, everybody turn to page 30 and let's read. Like literally, I know I don't have it. I'm like, yeah. I don't have it. And I, and that's first period. I got to do this two more times. And I like, I just don't, and I'll never forget feeling like I just had never been that not good at something mm-hmm. uh, in such a high stakes way in mm-hmm. front of people who deserve something better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really just like changed a lot. It like made me focus. It, it gave me a sense of responsibility, like all those things. In terms of my sense of success, I was really lucky. I was in student government literally from sixth grade to senior in college. Oh, I was wow. a president of every school I've been to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and student government was like my thing. That was like my home. It was mm-hmm. like what made me love planning. It was what taught me policy, da da um, and that was my, I was really blessed to be around adults who were, who weren't my family, but who poured into me and loved me and pushed mm-hmm. me and treated my ideas as worthy. And, you know, my mother, you might already know this because it's not a secret, but my mother left when I was three and my father raised us mm-hmm. and my great grandmother lived with us until I was 11. Um, so we were always really like me and my father, and my sister really close mm-hmm. and my great grandmother before she passed, we were all really close because she lived, she raised us. Um, but I remember, you know, I never had a, I, I always grew up with uh, understanding community as bigger than the family unit. Cause like mm-hmm. Joan, my mother, she just wasn't there. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was super, super lucky to have these adults that just like poured so much into me so early. Yeah. Cause you were talking about community, sense of community at being larger um, and sometimes more important than the families that we don't choose, right? You know, in communities that are dealing with um, very stressful circumstances, be it poverty, be it um, sometimes there's uh, drug addiction that, that occurs, um, or sometimes it's just the stress of making it from day to day. And a lot of times it causes fissures or, you know, um, families have become disconnected and people leave and, you know, whatever, all sorts of things manifest themselves. And I'm, I'm wondering, man, you know, when you when you meet young people and they come from those spaces where they don't have, you know, um, a sense of community, they don't have somebody around them or they have not had somebody around them to encourage their ideas, to, um, you know, create space for them to be fully and wholly themselves. How do you speak to young people to to help them to um you know, to kind of, to, to, to feel a, 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 a sense that they have something to contribute and offer. Yeah, I don't, you know, uh, high school is not my gift, which is why I taught middle school. <laughs> so when people are like, how do you do I'm like, I don't know, high school, I don't understand how school is. I'm like, I don't understand why you're not sitting down. You're 16. I'm like, I just, I like, cognitively, I don't get it. Uh, but, but what we, as organizers, what we say about young people, right, is that young people often have the experiences before they have the language. And so much of our work is to help young people find the language, but we're, but we're not here to like invalidate their experience. They have it. So my kids didn't have the language of white supremacy, but they knew it. I'm like, have you ever been followed in a store? They're like, yes. Have you ever been treated differently? Have you, do you think you've been treated differently because you look a certain way? Yeah. Like they had the experiences. My work was to try and help them think about like how to marry the language with them. Mm. A lot of people grow up in food deserts. They don't call them food deserts, but they know that they had to drive two cities over to go to the grocery store. Right. Like, so that's like first, that's the first part of it. The second part of it is in, with young people, it's so much easier in some ways because they just don't have like the bogged down stuff that we get as adults. 
is, you know, I was talking to a teacher yesterday, actually, uh, who called for advice about how to think about her, uh, her work with kids. And, you know, one of the things that we asked people was like, uh, tell me the place, I'll actually deal with you, tell me the place where you think of the place, don't tell me yet, where you feel the most safe. Mm. Like, get that in your mind. Mm. And then I want you to think about what's, what is, what is in that place. So like, mm. take two seconds and do that. Mm. Mm. Okay. So um, one of you tell me, uh, tell me what's, tell me some things that are in your place. Oh man, incense, jazz music, um, my work as an artist. Uh, there's a lot of quiet in that space. Um, yeah, a lot of light, a lot of light. Mm. Yeah. Me? Yeah, you. Mm. Not a lot of light. Mm. It's like I, I want to be in, in the dark. It's mm. like the <laughs> mm. quiet where no one bothers you. Mm. Um, where there's no one waiting for you, expecting anything from you mm. Mm. to judge you. Mm. Uh, as both of you, are the police in that space? No. 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 <laughs> no, right? Mm. And we remind people that if, if we ask you, where do you feel the most safe? What does that look like? Yeah. You will describe a whole host of things that don't include the police. Yeah. So when people tell us that they can't imagine a world without the police, we tell them that they just don't know that they've already done it, right? Mm -hmm. And like young people are the best at that because you know they just have this like expansive view of what community looks like and da da da. But that what you just did is like the exercise that we do with anybody mm -hmm. to help them realize like you already got it. Mm -hmm. I'm not the best I can do as an organizer is help you see what you already got. Like I can't give it to you, but you got yeah. it. When you had to think about the place where you feel the most safe, your gut was not people with guns. Yeah, their cages to keep people out. Like mm -hmm. both of you describe something very different. And what we would say is that the world that you said is the most safe for you, we want everybody to have those things. Mm. We wanna scale that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like young people are just like the, the, the easiest sometimes to walk through exercises like that. Mm, I love that. Mm. That's the first time I've ever had anybody kind of yeah. run me through an exercise yeah. like that. That's, that's really amazing. I, wow, no, go ahead, what were you gonna say? You know, I think our generation, you know, I'm a millennial and I think millennials and Gen Zs, we have we there's there's a group of us that are that some people call idealistic or optimistic and and we work really hard to move things forward in whatever small capacity or mm -hmm, whatever mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. way we can mm -hmm. and then there's there's another prevailing force and feeling of cynicism yeah and lack of hope and you talk in your book about hope mm. and there's a section where you actually say and of course, you know it, you wrote it, but, yeah. <laughs> but when your faith wavers, you turn to hope. Mm. And I wonder if you could speak on that and how that speaks to you. When has mm. your faith wavered mm. where then you lent, you, you leaned on hope? Mm. My, um, you know, it's hard. I'm in, in many ways, I'm, I feel the best that I've ever felt. Mm. And so much of that, I talked about this on, the, on my own podcast the other day at the beginning, but this idea of, um, surrender i've been like really intrigued by the idea of surrender <laughs> and uh and so much of our, our language around surrender is rooted in defeat right like mm. you like there's a defeat and you surrender yeah. but the, i don't feel that i don't feel defeated right yeah. uh, but and and i was talking to another friend and he was he was sort of like this idea of like softening into surrender this idea of like being really open and like mm. vulnerable and, and that is like what mm. i feel so the moments that my hope is challenged is when i'm in places where people don't believe uh, that another world is possible in mm -hmm. places where people believe that like what is 
present today is permanent and like we don't believe like that is where I get like stressed yeah. um but otherwise like I'm pretty open to try and figure out like what it looks like to get to the other side of freedom which is why the book's called the other side of freedom um and we spend almost all of our time in the solutions like I don't like the problems I get the problems but you don't need me to tell you the police are killing people and the police are killing people you know that right mm-hmm. uh, so I spend almost all day like I've been in meetings since 8 a.m and I'll be in meetings till 7 mm-hmm. literally trying to like in a million different meetings trying to figure out like what are solutions and like that's like where I spend almost all of my time and mm-hmm. that to me it's like the hope work. I'm sensitive to the fact that our job is hard because on this side of the world, like on the left, we are trying to build a world that we have never seen, but we know is possible. Mm, mm. I have not lived in a world where everybody has access to healthcare, quality healthcare, but I believe it. Yeah. I've not lived in a world where the police don't kill people, but mm-hmm. I believe that the world is like, we are always storytellers. Of, we're fictive storytellers. Like it's mm. fiction. We're like trying to yeah. build this thing. We haven't, mm. you know, we're telling stories about a world and that is hard work. And sometimes that gets a little challenging. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that where my hope is challenged is that the movement is often like a really, really, really not fun middle school or mm-hmm. high school cafeteria mm-hmm. where you're like, why are we fighting over this? Like there mm-hmm. are a lot of things to fight about. This isn't it. You know, mm-hmm. like, you're like, get me out of here. <laughs> um, and, the, and I never thought that I would ever have to use anything I considered a gift to fight black people, mm. but the movement is like some of you're like, why am I fighting you? I'm not, you're not my enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Like you just aren't the enemy. Like I'm, I'm here to fight the system. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, here's the third thing that I'll say is that uh, I get worried a lot about, um, you know, empires or systems or whatever you want to call it, always have a justification for doing the bad thing. There's always a reason why we couldn't tell the public the truth. There's always yeah. like a reason why we had to, like that, like the logic of lying is present in systems, right? Mm. I did not anticipate that that logic would rear its head in movement land, right? Like, mm. well, the reason why we can't say this publicly is that white people might not fund it, or the reason why we can't, like that logic, yeah. and we just cannot demand of a system a set of values and beliefs we won't model. It doesn't mm. work. Like, this is why it crumbles, right? Mm. But it also helps you see how difficult it is to hold values across time and space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been, I have been watching that play out in movement land, and it has been something I've been struggling with. I find it interesting that one of the the bits that kind of hurts you the most, I mean, obviously the injustices do, but what you first went to was when people don't think that we can't, like that we can fix it. Mm. That Mm. was such a point of irritation for you. It's like the injustices exist, but what really hurts me is when people don't think there's another side that there's another side that we can come out to on the other end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like it's kind of a fatalistic. Mm-hmm. kind of view of the world mm-hmm. and like yeah because i can't really do i can't do anything with you that you know it's like yeah. what do we do we like sit around and talk about how bad it is and you know we, the metaphor that i use in my mind is this idea of like um you know people often are like you're preaching to the choir and i'm like yes that mm. is the highest honor you could say right mm. because a choir director is like the best teacher like the best organizer the best mm-hmm. teacher walks into the classroom and knows that i didn't give you like you came here smart before you got to me right the mm-hmm. best i can do is like give you more skills help you access those skills long after I'm gone. That's what the best of teaching can do. What the best mm-hmm. organizer does is walk into the room and say, you already had gifts. What I just did with you around that exercise, you already had juice. Mm. What I can do is help you unlock it. That is like the best of organizing. Mm. And what mm. the best choir director does is say, you already had a voice before you came into the choir, right? Yeah. Mm. What I can do is help you do things with that voice that you didn't know you can do. And I can help you figure out how to use that voice with other people. Mm. So the hard part are the people who don't think that they can ever sing. Those are yeah. That's a hard person in the choir, right? Yeah. Yeah. The person who walks in and is like, give me some music, let's do mm-hmm. some private lessons, da, 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 or my mm-hmm. voice is a little shaky, can yeah. I play the drums? Yeah. Cool, all that stuff, like, 
we can work on that. Yeah. Mm. But if you walk in and you're like, I can never sing, that's just like a hard, mm. that's a hard yeah. thing to deal with, you know? Yeah. And the beauty I think about the work you're doing, the intentional work you're doing is that you're focused on bringing out those gems that are already there. Mm. And the person might not be aware that they're all there or they mm. might have just a, a low estimation of how much is in there, but you see it mm. and you kind of help to clear away the clutter so that can come more to the fore. And I love that, man. I just think that's a much more mm. empowering way mm -hmm. to approach the craft of teaching, you know, the practice of teaching. I love that, man. And we're, we're always mindful, you know, as a teacher, I was always mindful that um, I am always teaching a lesson in power, mm. always, right? Mm. Mm. And my ego doesn't need to show up in that. So like in my mm -hmm. classroom, uh, we had no seating, assigned seating, sit wherever you want. You manage your own body, yeah. but I'm not reteaching because you weren't listening. Yeah. So if you sit next to your best friend, that's cool. If y'all talk all day and everybody fail, that's dope. I didn't do it. You mm -hmm. did it. But like, I'm teaching you how to like manage your body, mm -hmm. right? You know, and like, you know, we would have work days where like you, you know, it was like I would post work sets across the board and da da da, and you do it at your own pace and, you know, get up when you want to. You didn't have to ask me to get out of your chair. Like, do you. Uh, but like the, when the time comes to show me that, you know, you learn, like mm -hmm. you got to be there. Right. And mm -hmm. it was like my ego didn't need to I didn't need to run a, a jail like classroom because like I'm going to be the teacher no matter what. I'm going to be the teacher whether you have a temper tantrum tomorrow, mm -hmm. whether you don't like I'm still going to be here. So my ego doesn't have to like lord power over you. Yeah. You know, like that's not where I get my sense of purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was important to me, too. You have a gift for the practice of teaching mm. um, and for drawing out, uh, you know, the gifts that people have within them. Man, who was that teacher for you? Mm. Because you, you didn't, you, you didn't, I mean, I know you probably have an innate talent, but somebody did that for you along the way. And I'm just wondering if who the person that stands out for you that did that for you. Yeah, I don't think, I, so I, there are teachers that were hugely important in my life. It wasn't like, I don't think I, they were not like my best content teachers. Mm. I, don't, I don't think I had like, you know, I, that wasn't how I thought about them. Mm -hmm. So Miss Rupal was the yearbook teacher. I was very, I'm still close to her, um, but I, we were very close when I was in school. Mm -hmm. And she was like, she just like trusted. She was like, cool, if you want to do this, do that. Like, it was like very, she was just like, I, I, we were partners doing this together. And she yeah. was definitely the teacher, but like, she respected my mind mm -hmm. uh, and that was a huge deal for me as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, my second grade teacher, Miss Rainey, was like a mother in some ways and like she was, mm -hmm. she was dope. Mm -hmm. So those teachers were like really big. And then I had a teacher in college who was very tough, um, mm -hmm. Professor Yarbrough, mm -hmm. but she was just like, she was like unrelenting with this idea of like, either you show up ready or you don't. Like there's no mm -hmm. gray. Like I, we had one class where she, it was a senior seminar. She, uh, we, it was about Tocqueville. I majored in political theory. Mm -hmm. uh, and she was like, what is the ruling passion of the noblest mind? That was the question. Mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. seven of us. None of us knew. We had to read like a hundred pages a night for class. I'm like, I don't know where, where this is tucked in in this random chapter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she looks at us and she goes, everybody go home and don't come to class unprepared again and walks out. And we're like, wow. what is this woman doing? Wow. But it was like, it was, I, it was a gangster. You're like, I love it. Like, you're going to be crazy about this. And it was, um, it was just, I, I, I've had, a, I've been super blessed to have mm -hmm. adults who just um, were unrelenting in, in the expectations they had. And like, yeah. not crazy expectations, but this idea, like, either you come ready or you don't, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, and I think about like, what I bring to the movement space, I hope on my best days in, in the classroom, it's like, either kids deserve a great teacher every day or they don't, right? Yeah. And either I'm gonna be that great teacher or I'm not. And like, mm -hmm. that was my, like, I was trying to get there every day. Cause it's like, 
a kid I love would deserve this. Um, and people are like, what did you do? It's like, I taught, I like woke up at four, I was on the 4.48 a.m. train. I was at school at 6 a.m. I left at 4 p.m. I ate two slices of pepperoni pizza at Basubio's and had a peach snapple and I went to sleep. Like I was broke. I slept on the hardwood. I couldn't afford a bed when I first went to New York. So for two weeks, I slept on uh, my childhood bedroom sheets on the floor with a pillow. Wow. And then I slept on an air mattress for two years because I couldn't afford a bed. You know, like mm-hmm. I taught, that was all I did. So like, I better be good at it because this is, I'm not going out. I'm not doing it. Like, I taught. That was like my life when I was here the first time. So you sketched with some really, um, you know, um, profound brushstrokes about, you know, your vision, about, you know, about teaching, about the, the, the way that you're going about teaching, also your activism. And I'm just curious, man, what is the, you know, what, what's the, what does the end goal look like for you? You know, you, you talked a little bit about it, but if you had a, if, if you could, kind of create this reality um, that you're moving towards, what would that look like fundamentally for you? Yeah, I really do think we can win this lifetime. So I think that the thing that I see the most clearly is like, how do we, so to win is two parts. It's like take down the bad things, build the good things, right? Mm-hmm. I can see the end of the bad things. I got it. Like, I just can't move quick enough, but I see it. So like, yeah. we are working on 50 campaigns right now. The team is like, three. we can only do 10 at a time. I'm like, 10's not enough, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, but I can, I got it. I can like see it in my head. I can see when I go to sleep. I see when I wake up. I'm like, I just, I literally cannot move. There's just not enough time for me to do them all at once, but I got it. Yeah. Uh, the, I don't know if I will be uh, the person around to, to be here when we, when we build the new mm-hmm. thing, you know, like mm-hmm. somebody else yeah. I, you know, I can't, I don't see that yet, yeah. but I can see the end of the bed. I got it. I like, it is crystal yeah. clear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had to tell myself, um, I am super aware that I will not live forever. Mm. And, uh, and, a, and a part of that acknowledgement is to say that before I take my last breath, I want to be able to say that I fought for black people mm. as much as I could. And I never lost my joy in that. Um, and that is like what I take uh, every night that I go to sleep. That like, I did my part uh, to fight for black people and I never lost my sense of joy. Oh man, I love that. Well, we're so glad that you're, you're doing the work you're doing and you're fighting and, uh, it's fighting for a better world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's one of those things when I look at when people have uh, critiqued the title black lives matter and I find mm-hmm. it to be a very curious thing because mm-hmm. it's such, I find it to be very curious and sometimes irritating because really black lives matter does not mean that other lives matter. That, that other lives don't matter. It mm. means that those lives that have not mattered historically, mm. we're now centering those lives and affirming their existence, their reality, and the fact that they do matter. Mm. So I really am just so happy, brother, that you're in a space doing the work you're doing, that you are affirming in a day-to-day basis mm. in the, the way that you're expending your energy and your talent, that yes, indeed, black lives matter, brother, and that we all matter. Keep doing what you're doing, man. We're so happy to have this conversation with you, brother. Thank you so much, Jeray. Let's do it. All right, man. Beat that traffic, brother. All right, man. Peace.